The over-under win total for the Reds is looking more and more like the under after this past week. On top of all the losing, weighs heavy the comments that Phil Castellini made on opening day. And do the Reds really know what they're doing? You are Locked On Reds, your daily Cincinnati Reds podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are Locked on Reds. Thanks for making Locked on Reds your first listen of the day. We are part of the Locked on Podcast Network, and we are free and available on all platforms. I'm Stephen Offenbaker alongside Jeff Carr, and we have a passion for baseball. We have a passion for the Cincinnati Reds, and we have turned that passion into information for you. On today's podcast, we've got Mo Egger from ESPN 1530. Jeff and I are going to ask Mo about the Reds' 2-8 and eight start. We will talk to him about if the Reds are still going to be able to hit the over on the 2022 season win totals. And we're also going to get into the infamous opening day interview with Red COO Phil, where are you going to go, Castellini? We've got all of that and so much more coming up, so let's get right to it with Mo Egger. All right, Mo, we're going to get things started right away and we're going to jump right into, you know, discussing a little bit about the performance of this Cincinnati Reds team. And we're just going to start off with this. How do you feel about taking the over on the Reds season win total? Not great. Not great at all. Uh, First of all, good to be with you. I got it at 72 and a half. Um, So for them to hit the over, uh, they have to play 462 baseball the rest of the way. 462 baseball over the course of 162 games is uh, setting about a 75-win pace. I thought this was a 76-win team before the season started, so it's doable. And it's worth mentioning, I do this every year, regardless. I mean, I because to me, I, I want my own little pennant race to be involved in. I want a reason to pay attention if there are 1,000 games in the first place. Uh, prior to last year, the last time the Reds hit the over for a season was 2013, so I've lost a lot of money doing this every single year. So this is not a something exclusive to 2022. I don't make excuses when it comes to the schedule, but the schedule has been tough early. They are going to have a bunch of games against the Pirates who are not going to be very good. They are going to have a bunch of games against the Cubs who are not going to be very good. And so I still feel okay, but I don't feel as good as I did before the season started. All right, so what would be a way for us to maybe hedge our bets a little bit? Because I, again, (laughs) took the over as well at 72 and a half, and, and I'm not feeling great about it. Yeah, I don't really know if there is anything. I, I, I guess you could start betting against them on a given night and get your money back that way because that certainly feels like a, a good strategy. Certainly right now with the uh, the teams they're playing out West, it might be a very good strategy. Um, you, you know, look, I mean, in 2019, they started one and eight, right? And they, they then played at a clip that got them close. I think they missed the over by a game and a half. And so... You really don't want to overreact to what you're getting early in the season. At the same time, this club's a mess right now. And what you wonder is how big of a hole are they going to dig out of or how big of a hole are they going to dig before they do start to play well? Because even crappy teams win 60 times per year, I guess, unless you're the Baltimore Orioles. So they're still going to have they're still going to win games. I mean, that's going to happen. Right. So but how how big is the hole? How deep is the hole before they start? Because, you know, I remember three years ago, we did the whole thing all season long. Well, Hey, uh, there are three games above 500 since they started one and eight, like a well, big deal. Who cares? Those games still count. So I guess that's what I want to know. By the time this team does start playing competent ball, 
what is their record? How many games below 500 are there? Are they? And, and how off the pace of getting to 73 wins are they? I, I still think they're going to hit the over. I really do. And um, I bet I can't find many people who agree with me. I, I just think people discount how hard it is to lose 90 times. This team might be that bad. Uh, they, they certainly, I think, have extinguished anybody's thought of this team qualifying for the postseason. But it's, they have 152 games. They have a lot of time to get back on course. At some point, they're going to start playing well. Uh, the question is when and how, how, how deep is the hole by the time they do. You know, I think I talk- one thing's for sure that, that if we really want to hit that over number, uh, what we need is for Jeff to start taking the other team every day because <laughs> his luck on betting, he will help us get over that finish line. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took the Reds against Tony Gonsolin on uh, Friday, and <clears throat> that that didn't work. Um, <laughs> they, uh, when it comes to the over, and I, I think there are a lot of people that had talked themselves into this whole playoff notion, and there before the season started, and much to the uh, the happiness, I guess, of one man you talked to almost a week ago, having been a week removed from that conversation that. By the way, I'm pretty sure it's going to define like this entire season. <laughs> Congrats. Um, what it, what is something like when you when you look back on that? What's your first thought today when you ask uh, you know w- when you asked Phil Castellini about uh, having faith in, the, in in their ownership? My first thought is I'm I'm honestly wondering what life is like for him right now because uh, he said what he said and then. Far more importantly, the team played the way it did, as has been well documented. They haven't won since. And so I've got to think that opening day came and went. The public outcry came. And then the question was, is it going to go away if the team plays well in Los Angeles? Right. Like, can the team itself do the talking for this franchise by playing well in L.A.? And if the answer was yes, my guess is we're not talking about Phil Castellini today and whatever heat is on him um, doesn't maybe entirely go away, but it certainly is lessened. Or do they amplify the anger by just getting their teeth kicked in in Los Angeles, which is obviously what happened. And now where are you going to go is a de facto motto for the 2022 Reds and they can't escape it. And they've also got home games this weekend that they would like to sell tickets for. And the weather's going to be awesome, by the way. So I'm, I'm really, my first thought is, what is life like right now in the inner bowels of Great American Ballpark? What is it like when Phil sits down with his employees, when they, they chart of, uh, the next course of action here, as they try to sell people on this on-field product, which has not been very good, with hovering in the background is a movement to sell the team and the uh, residual anger from what Phil Castellini had to say. So I, I start there, but to me, the, the overarching theme is lack of gratitude as far as I'm concerned. And, and I'm, I've been clumsily trying to figure out a way to write about this, but, but for, for the better part of 15 years, ownership has been given a pass. And, and by the way, this is not a criticism of ownership, and it's not a criticism of the people giving ownership a pass. But the reality is, for 15 years, they have skated. And whenever things have gone wrong, there's always been a, a scapegoat or a meat shield. I could, I could probably count on both hands the amount of times I have taken a phone call from a fan angry specifically at the role of ownership in the team's lack of success. There's always been somebody else. 
a general manager, a manager, the, the damn hitting coach. But <laughs> if if I had ten dollars for every time somebody uh, called me to to scream about the hitting coach, I'd have Elon Musk type money. <laughs> like so, the, the, a contract, a player, baseball's economics. There's always been something else to absorb the heat, and and meanwhile. And this, ironically, is a credit to Phil Castellini. The Reds have been great at everything that's not baseball. Everything. And they have generated a lot of goodwill because of how good the fan experience has been, how good the social media engagement has been, how great the All-Star game was, how awesome the community fund is, how much fun everybody has at Reds Fest, how much everybody loves the caravan. And by the way, I think a big reason why uh, so many people have gotten upset at the Reds is if you look at the last couple of years, Reds Fest has gone away. The caravan has gone away. Opening day hasn't been opening day that we're used to, at least prior to this year. And so you sort of strip away. It's it's like if uh, I said this on the air last week, if if uh, if you met your favorite celebrity and suddenly the makeup and all the stuff they put on to look sexy, it's all you kind of like, Ugh. and that's that's kind of what's happened with the Reds here. Right. Like we've we've taken away all this ancillary stuff that matters, but doesn't matter as much as the baseball and that deflects your focus away from baseball. That stuff's not there. And now you look at the baseball product and it's not that good. But, but again, they've coasted on 15 years of goodwill. They haven't won anything during that stretch of time. They've won exactly two division titles and two playoff games. Great American ballpark is in its 20th season and hasn't hosted a Reds playoff win. And yet the finger has not gotten point pointed at ownership. There've been no billboard movements. Oh, no hashtags. Nobody was yelling and screaming that Bob Castellini should sell the team. So to me, the very first time, the very first time that ownership is very squarely in the public's crosshairs, this is how they react. Phil Castellini's messaging should have been one of gratitude. And if you want some sports info to be grateful for, check out BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's NBA playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season that is well underway. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering on top of the NBA playoffs and MLB, just like the NHL, boxing, UFC, and more. There's also great live betting options and your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all of the trends and action and check out these special deals that they have for you going on each and every season. They're at Bet Online because BetOnline.net is where the game starts. Thank you for making Locked On Reds your first listen of the day. For your next listen, check out the Locked On Now podcast. Recaps of Major League Baseball games with analysis from all of our local experts in under 30 minutes. Taking fans through the season like no other network. They're free and available just like Locked On Reds every single place you get your podcasts. And thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen. Make sure you're following the podcast on all the platforms, including YouTube. Thanks for watching us right here. Tomorrow, we will continue our conversation with Mo. We're going to really dive into the strange direction, if you want to call it that, of the Cincinnati Reds, and maybe a thought about David Bell's future. But 
Let's jump right back into our conversation with Mo Egger as we look at the uh, Phil Castellini conversation. To me, the message should be thank you for hanging in there with us. And look, we get it. We're taking some heat. And all right, you might not trust us. We're not going to sell the team. What we hope we can do is earn back your trust and, and earn back your faith because we've lost it and we understand why. The message from Phil Castellini should be one of empathy. Hey, man, like, yeah, I, I get it. We, we haven't won and you're exasperated. And by the way, I would be exasperated, too. I would lack trust as well. All we can do is um, let our plan unfold. We think it's going to work and we'll let our on-field results speak for themselves. And then the anger you have towards us is going to be something else. It's going to be aimed differently, and we're all going to enjoy that. Instead, the tone of antagonism and standoffish, you would think that Reds fans were notoriously impatient. The reality is a decade and a half has passed, and it's taken now, just now, ownership is in everybody's crosshairs. Just now, people are talking about the role of ownership and losing. You think the Cincinnati Bengals would like that sort of grace period? Do you think <laughs> FC Cincinnati would like that sort of grace period? Uh, the answer is obviously yes. So to me, that's what I keep coming back to. People have given you guys the benefit of the doubt for 15 years. They're just now turning on you. Number one, you don't expect that. Number two, your tone is antagonistic. Your tone is angry. Your tone is uh, uh, petulance. That is... Very insulting, I think, if you're a fan. No, I agree, and I think that's why I never Google uh, my favorite actresses without makeup. I don't know why. Don't do that. That, <laughs> no, don't, don't a, do it. Do not do act. it. I'm, I'm never. I'm not going to start. I promise, I won't. Um, <laughs> I don't go to. I don't go to adult establishments. I'm not a strip club guy. But <laughs> right. but if I was, you don't want to be there at the end of the night when the lights come on, right? right because exactly. it, it sort of removes the illusion that you were there for. And I think to a degree, <laughs> in a weird way, that's kind of what's happened here, right? Like. Opening day is not opening day, and we can't have Reds Fest and all these different things that pivot you from one season to the next or that uh, make you feel good about the brand and kind of forget about the baseball. That stuff's all gone. And so now it's just this product where you're like, eh. you know, and so I think that to a degree for a lot of people has been a factor. And to your point, Mo, uh, in the in the asking for, you know, give me a chance to to turn it around, you know, everything you just said about Phil Castellini, it can be done. I mean, we saw we just coming off a bingo season where Mike Brown was cheered in public. And if you had told me in 1999 that that was ever going to happen again in the city of Cincinnati, I would have told you you were crazy. So, I mean, it can happen. It just takes going out and investing in your product and putting a winner on the field. Well, it, it makes me wonder, does and, and, and I I've always had a, a good relationship with Phil. I thoroughly do appreciate his willingness to to come and join Scott Sloan and I and answer questions. Um I, this was not a situation in which we were told this is off limits or you can't ask this. I appreciate that. And and honestly, that's rare. Um, the, the, the other thing, and I've said this publicly as well, I've always appreciated about Phil is if he has taken issue with something that I've said, he's contacted me directly. And that is rare. I, I don't think Phil's a bad guy. I don't think Phil is an incompetent executive. Um, in fact, a lot of the things I just outlined are a credit to Phil Castellini. So I think that has that has to be said. But I do wonder, did the tone from him reflect a lack of faith in his team's own plan? Because to me, if you're confident in something, 
Um, if you're confident in, you know, like I'll just use my stupid little radio show as an example. There are things I'm confident in us doing that I know are going to get some pushback. But if I believe in them, I don't care. I don't care. The, the times the that I've the times that I've questioned myself is, OK, well, maybe I'm not so sure that's going to work. And so if you're supremely confident in the people that work for you and what you are doing and what your plan is, you don't need to defend it. You, you don't need to attack people who don't. You know, this whole thing, he's referencing haters like the most insecure people I know without prompting reference people who don't believe in them. If you're confident in who you are, if you're really secure, who cares? Dude, it's part of the gig, man. Like you want to own a big league ball club when you don't win. People are going to say and write mean things about you. Like it's, it's part of the job. Again, bringing it back to me. I say this in our business all the time. You don't like people telling you suck. Don't get into talk radio. Well, you know, to a larger degree, <laughs> don't like people angry with losing. Don't own a damn baseball team. So, but, but if you, but if you truly believe in this is going to work, I believe in Nick crawl. I believe in this plan. I believe in what we're doing in the minor leagues. It's going to work. Let the plan speak for itself. And, and yeah, I know in the short term, you got to sell tickets. Well, is anybody buying a ticket based on what Phil said last week? Did, did anybody go, honey, uh, set aside some cash. We know gas is four and a quarter a gallon, set aside some money. Phil last week said, just celebrate the team and watch it. Let's buy a 20 game package. No, let the team speak for itself. If you believe in it, let the plan speak for itself. If you believe in it. And the fact that Phil's not willing to do that tells me that maybe he doesn't necessarily believe in his own plan. That's why last week was so unfortunate to me because it felt like he put a lot more pressure on the team to perform with his comments. Yeah. And, and it makes me wonder too, cause you mentioned Sloaney, what was his thoughts on this interview? Cause I know you filled in for him the next day and he didn't yeah. get like that chance to have a three hour show to react to it all. But what, what were his thoughts about the conversation? Uh, well, you know, I, I filled in for him the next day and that was planned. We had planned that a few weeks sure. ago. And so he, the very first thing he said to me when Phil left the stage was, well, there you go. There's tomorrow. There's topic. Hey, you're good to go. Cause I had, I had said to him prior to it, like, Hey, let's talk about, cause it's a non-sports show and I'm sports guy. And I had said like, well, Hey, I want to pick your brain on topics and things like that. And he just looked at me and he goes, well, well, there you go. <laughs> he and I both gave each other a look and it was a look of, surprised that he had said what he said, but also to a degree, uh, and I'm comfortable saying this of well, what do we do now? Because that was the last question of what had been like a 15 minute sit down. And, you know, we had news to hit. We had a finite amount of time with Phil Castellini. Uh, it, it wasn't like there was a lot of time for a follow up. And, and Scott and I both did try to, for lack of a better way of putting it, interrupt him and, and get in a word. And Phil just kept going. What I wish we would have done, what I wish, what I wish I would have done um, is to say to Phil, can you hang tight? We have to get to news. I know you're busy, but you just said something that I want to ask you a question about. Mm -hmm. And look, I, I, I love chaos. I, I, I love watching people engage in conflict. I know everybody wanted us to challenge him and there to be an on-air fight. Right. I'm a believer in conversations, not confrontations. I do think it would have been good radio if one of us, and, and I'll take the blame here because I asked the question, if one of us would have said, uh, Phil, we got to hit news, and I know you have a lot of places to be today, but um, can you just hang tight and, and, and just stick with us for one more segment because you, know, you just said, well, where are people going to go? And, and I, I want to get clarification on that. I think that would have been fair to him, and I think it would have been good for the audience. 
So I, I do wish we would have done that. But yeah, in, in the moment, Sloney and I were just like, and uh, he, he and I talked about it on his show on Friday. And, it, you know, it's his reaction was, I think, the same as, as everybody else's. I can't believe this guy said that. I can't believe that this was the tone that he took. I'll be honest with you. I didn't know that it would take on the life that it did. Um, whenever somebody says to you, have you looked at Twitter? That, <laughs> They're not talking about something cute. It's yeah, never so good. That I, is never good. I walked across the bridge to go to Smoke Justice for my show, and somebody said to me, there, have you looked at Twitter? And I'm like, no, what, what happened? And he goes, well, the Phil Castle anything on your show with Sloney has blown up. And so um, I'm sure Phil got something very, very similar over there at Great American Ballpark. But, you know, the Brandon Seho thing he did, that certainly didn't help matters. Mm-hmm. Phil then came back to the Holy Grail and was on with uh, Bill Cunningham and Lance McAllister. I don't know that, that that really helped matters. And so I think now the franchise is in a very weird place because, you know, there's a baseball issue, but there's also a messaging issue. So who can deliver the message? Um, with all due respect, I don't know that Bob Castellini is at a stage in his life where you could put him in front of cameras and microphones and engage him in a free-flowing discussion about the direction of the club. I don't know that Nick Crawl is um, necessarily great at articulating what the plan is supposed to be. Um, And, you know, I don't know that they would really let him deviate from whatever their corporate talking points are. And then there's Phil Castellini, who nobody wants to hear from right now. So you have to let the team speak for the franchise, and the team is 2-8. and So... They're in a really tough, weird spot right now that I, I don't envy, that I do think is interesting, and that is only going to change if the on-field fortunes of this team improve. We're going to continue to look ahead to 2024, or at least that seems to be what the plan is at Great American Ballpark right now. Uh, however, the plan for your diet should be to add a built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It might even be better than a candy bar. Uh, You want to eat healthy, but it just gets so difficult. It gets so hard and you're ready to give up on a new diet or a new health and fitness regime after a week or two. Uh, But Built Bar uh, makes it easy because it just tastes so good. Built Bar is covered in 100% real chocolate and has amazing health statistics. Uh, Baseball podcast, we love the stats. Built Bar stats, 130 calories four grams of sugar, four net carbs for you folks doing the keto diet. And they are jam-packed with 17 grams of protein. They have amazing flavors like cherries, barcia, coconut brownie chunks, salted caramel, and lots of different products to uh, take care of that sweet tooth that you might be experiencing, such as Jeff's personal favorite, the puffs. Uh, They've got other things like protein-enriched broth to get you through uh, what seems to be the last of Ohio winter, uh, judging from the videos I'm seeing with the snow gently falling out side head over to built.com right now to get your built bar order in and use the promo code locked 15 that promo code is going to get you 15 percent off your next order of built bar to help get your diet straight to get your health fitness goals achieved that's built.com promo code locked 15 for 15 percent off your next order at built bar Make sure you're following us on Twitter. You can follow me at S. Offenbaker with two Fs. You can follow Jeff at Jeff Carr with three Fs. And you can follow the show at Locked on Reds with no Fs. Uh, also, make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel. There will be uh, bonus video content over there. You're not going to get anywhere else. So make sure you have clicked that subscribe button so you don't miss 
any of that. Uh, we're going to jump right back into our conversation with ESPN 1530's Mo Egger, where we're going to look at what 2024 might hold for the Cincinnati Reds. Let's get right back to it. Well, listen, it's interesting that you're, you're kind of shifting that direction because it feeds right into to where I want to go with this next question, Mo, and that is, what is the plan, both on the field and in the front office and in the ownership group? What do they do to be successful in, in all areas of uh, the, the redefining of this team? Because as you just said, you know, there, there is no trust in Bob Castellini. There is no trust in Phil. There is no trust in Nick. And there really is no trust in the process based on the last 15 years of history. So what is the plan? Well, I think prior to last week, the plan was pretty obvious to me. The plan was we're not going to take all our chips off the table in 2022, but we're going to take a lot of our chips off the table and we're going to push them towards 2024. And, and by the way, might work. I mean, <laughs> they are operating from a place of strength because Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo are here and there's pretty good collection of young pitchers in the system. And Ellie De La Cruz will get here one day and maybe Jose Barrera will be healthy and can hit. So there's I mean. I do think you could say, God, if the Reds are good in two years, it's going to be because this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, this guy, and this guy, and some of those guys are already performing at the major league level, including obviously Hunter Green, but they didn't go full rebuild, and they are trying to catch lightning in a bottle with this year's team, which is sort of a hodgepodge of washed-up guys, guys who are either entering their prime or going to be really good one day, and so we're not rebuilding. We're not tanking, but we're not really going all in. We're just going to sort of see if this works with a very pointed eye towards uh, 2024. I think that's been the plan all along now here in the short term, though, they've created such fan anger. They've created such a narrative that it's going to be really hard for them to escape from. Um, Because again, I mean, all right, you want answers who, there right now is going to give them to you. And I don't think that person exists, you know, quite frankly. I mean, Dick Williams was great at that part of his job. And, you know, Dick did some things that were really, really good, and he did some things that I'm not sure I will ever really understand. But I thought I thought Dick was always pretty good at articulating, like, here's what we're doing, here's what we're trying to do. And, you know, maybe he didn't make you feel better about the current state of the club, but there was – you know, it was coherent and it wasn't standoffish and it didn't piss people off and it didn't make people question their relationship with the franchise. And that's not the case anymore. So I think they have a real problem, you know, honestly, in that, you know, between now and the end of the season, if this goes poorly, how do you explain to people that we're this is going to work? I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you do that. And I think from from Phil's standpoint, I think what works against them, and, and this is this is not a criticism. Whenever uh, prior to la- last season, anytime I heard Phil Castellini, it was to talk about some business initiative or, hey, we put a new bar out there in right field or we're bringing Pete Rose back for the weekend or, uh, you know, here's what's new at GABP, that sort of thing. And now he's the forward fake uh, forward facing face and voice of everything. So maybe he's not diving into the nuances of the minor league system, but he's now the person explaining the baseball part of this. And I think to a degree, because for the first 13, 14 years that he was involved, he was the bobblehead guy. He was the bow tie bar guy. He was the, the guy talking about the, um, the um, urban youth Academy in, in Roselawn. 
And now, wait a minute. Now this guy's talking about the minor leagues and prospects. Like nobody's taking that seriously. I think that works against him. And I think to a degree, he knows that works against him, which is maybe where his, his tone is coming from. But I mean, yeah, right now you hate to say it, but the strategy just seems to be, you hope that this team performs better and gets people talking about things that are happening on the field that are good. And maybe if they do that, they'll be compelled to look a little bit further down the road, which does offer some encouragement. But in the short term, with those words from last week still echoing, every uh, additional loss is just going to create more distrust, more anger, and for a lot of people, more apathy. You know, Jeff and I had a conversation off air yesterday that I think would be really good to fold in right here. Uh, Jeff, you know, you and I were talking about the things they do well versus the things that they don't do well. And it was it was leading you kind of down a rabbit hole. I think it might be good for you to jump in here with that. Yeah, um, it's something that I've been thinking about at least in this early going, and I know obviously there's still a lot of baseball left to watch, but it really seems like over the last couple of years, they've rebuilt the development system. They've really done a good job of that, at least so far as the reports are concerned when it comes to, you know, guys like Ellie De La Cruz coming out of nowhere. And then all of a sudden he's a generational talent. And you've got some other guys that, like we said, we're looking toward 2024 because there's a lot of exciting talent down there. It feels like the Reds are decent at development, if not good at developing a player throughout the minor leagues and getting him ready for the majors. But when he gets to the majors, it kind of feels like they're a little bit listless. And if I'm honest, just by what I'm seeing, when a player has success, it's based more on the individual player than it is on the plan for that player. Is that fair? Is that something that when you see you're like, that might be a little bit too harsh to kind of, guess at but at the same time I, I I see that every single day with Nixon Zell and a couple of other guys yeah I you know wh- what I really wonder about is what is the what is the dynamic when all the different baseball people the analytics folks the traditional people Walt Jockety still has a lot of sway in this organization when when all of these people get together to talk about players and prospects and the roster and the direction of the team like and is there ever a clear consensus on where the franchise should go? Like, is there ever a clear consensus on what this guy's role is, uh, whether or not he's worth investing in, uh, where he should play? I, I, I think that's, I think that's fair. And, and look, it, it might speak to something that I've complained about now here for a while where it, it doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like they're ever fully committed to any plan. Right. So go back uh 2013 almost a decade right pretty good club coming off a season in which they ran away with the division and then starting at the deadline in 2013 the franchise just stopped like they just literally stopped um they didn't acquire the piece they need to get over the hump that year um and dusty baker complained about that on his way out they go into 2014 And, you know, again, for for like three years, there was this like all we're going all in. we got a core to build around. We are going for it. And so they did that in 2012. And to a large degree, it worked. So that was the theme forever. And then suddenly go all in. Stopped. Uh, Stopped at the end of 2013. Stopped at the end of 2014. And the team just sort of drifted aimlessly. And then it was midway through 2015. We're rebuilding. We are rebuilding. Okay. And then, well, no, uh-uh. actually, a few years later, we, we got to go get some players that guys have heard of. And so it's Tanner Roark and Yessiel Puig and on down the line. 
and then all in in 2020. And then suddenly at the, at the end of 2020, it's, well, we're going to kind of go half in again. We're not really going to go for it, but we're not going through a full rebuild. Like it feels like Kyle Bodie is a big part of this franchise, right? Like Kyle mm-hmm. eh, pitching all of our pitching development centers around this Kyle Bodie, dude, this guy's really, really important. And then suddenly he very unceremoniously is no longer a part of the organization. So it feels to me like they never fully commit to any one plan. And to, so then what's going to happen when guys get to the big leagues, there's not going to be a consensus on what should happen with that player on, on where he should play on how valuable he is on whether he's a guy worth investing in on whether he's a guy worth trading. I mean, how many times over the last 10 years has it felt like the reds were just sort of drifting aimlessly and not going in any one discernible direction? That will wrap up this edition of Locked On Reds. Coming up on tomorrow's podcast, why the Reds' plans have seemed so listless and what can we expect from David Bell. We conclude our conversation with ESPN 1530's Mo Egger. In the meantime, we have a bonus episode coming out where Steve and I will get into why the Reds seem so helpless this past weekend. Thanks for making Locked On Reds your first listen. Now make Locked On MLB your second listen. Paul Francis Sullivan, please call him Sully though, brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues both past and present. Locked On MLB is just like Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. Steve, the Reds might look really terrible right now as they've had probably one of the worst weeks we can remember. But there's still lots of baseball left. There's still a chance for them to get better and look better and be more fun. And what does that mean for you and for me? It means that no matter what the Cincinnati Reds do on or off the field, Jeff and I are going to be locked on Reds right here with you every single day.